Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. At the age of 24, Matt Odie was diagnosed with stage 3C testicular cancer. By age 25, he was led into a two-week coma with multiple near-death experiences, and he had to learn how to relive his life all over again. Fast forward five years, Matt is now a keynote, motivational speaker, and coach, helping individuals transform their setbacks into their superpowers. Matt, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. Uh, excited to share my story. And I think more importantly, excited to just share my experience and the lessons that I can give to your amazing community. So thank you. You're welcome. So right before I hit record, uh, you said you are now five years cancer-free. Is that correct? Yep, uh, as of uh, February. So I got to go see my oncologist and uh, five-year mark, especially in the cancer field for most cancer patients uh, is a really big mark. So um, that was like, kind of like, it went from being in remission to now being technically cured. So I have just as much of a chance as anybody who's never had uh, testicular cancer anymore. So it was a really big day for me. How did it feel? Um, it was definitely a relief, but I'd also worked on myself so much throughout the past five years that I'm now kind of in like give mode where I want to really just impact and help others. I would say the first two years was the hardest mentally, emotionally, physically, um, you know, challenge for me because that's when I had just overcome cancer. I had a lot of complications, which we can talk about. And then it was just like all of it coming at once. Like a lot of us, especially when we're done with cancer or um, some type of traumatic experience, um, we have what's called scanxiety. So anytime we go get checked up from a doctor or we go get a scan, the, the thought of a reoccurrence of that disease is like such an emotional baggage. And um, I had to deal with that for quite a you know long time, quite a good period of time. And honestly, like for me, um, once I was able to overcome that, that's when I could finally start to not just better myself, but give back into in, uh, the community as well. Wow. That's very well said. Well, take us back. We started with five years cancer-free, but take us back to five years ago. And how did it all start? Did you have symptoms kind of get into the weeds? Absolutely. Of course. So um, it was actually 2016. So this was uh, six years ago and um, I was 24 years old at the time. And um, I just started dating my now fiance and, um, you know, we were, you know, we, I was very healthy at the time, personal trainer, eating the right foods, working out. We were doing all these summer activities, you know, going hiking, all of these things that you would, you know, just normally do in your twenties. And all of a sudden I started to notice these minor back pains throughout the summer. And of course, as a stubborn 24 year old, you know, especially somebody who really like predicates their entire life to their health. Um, I just kept shrugging it off and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it got to the point where it was actually really hard for me to even walk. And um, as stubborn as I was, the only way that I was ended up at the hospital was I actually woke up one night and I started puking up blood. Oh, so God. I got, yeah, I had to get rushed to the emergency room. They did a blood test on me. 
found out that I'd lost two thirds of the blood circulating in my body, which is basically equivalent to being shot with a gun. And yep, I had to get rushed into the emergency surgery where they gave me six bags of blood right on the spot. And when I came out the next day, um, you know, I'm thinking it's over. I'm ready to go home. And my doctor walks in and it's just my parents and me at the time. And um, he just has this like blank stare in his eyes. And the right then I knew something was really, you know, wrong and, and not good. So my doctor came over to me, sat down, grabbed my hand and um, he goes, Matt, we, we found an 11 centimeter tumor in your small intestine. We know it is cancerous and we have to rush you to the main campus of the Cleveland Clinic immediately. So for me, um, I go from this, you know, healthy 185 pound personal trainer working out all the time to, you know, I know I had these symptoms, but it was just a total whirlwind of you will never, anybody who's ever been diagnosed with cancer, you'd never expect that news. Like you never, ever really expect that you actually have cancer. And for me, the here is the toughest part was I remember looking over at my parents mm-hmm. who I don't think I've ever seen my dad cry in his entire life and seeing my dad cry and then seeing my mom crying. I felt like I needed to be this like warrior type person where I couldn't express my emotions, couldn't express my feelings because I wanted to be strong for them. I needed to then go share the news to Lauren, my fiance, who I've only been dating at that point for two months, um, go share the news to her. And I'm like, I don't know if she wants to be with me anymore. I don't know what's, it's a lot to put on her. And that right there, I want to just express really quickly, especially men, um, you women are much better than this than we are is expressing your emotions. And I think for men, especially when you're going through something challenging or you have a vulnerable part of your life, it is okay to open up to certain people. It is okay to open up to somebody that you can trust, somebody that you um, may be able to just feel comfortable talking to. Because I'm going to tell you right now, for days, I was not opening up. I was just like trying to hold all my emotions and to be strong. And it just caused anxiety. It caused a ton of worry of PTSD. It caused all of these emotions to, to build up. And it was just like weight after weight of baggage. And I could never actually focus on where I, I really needed to go to start healing myself. So once I, basically how I started to, you know, start the healing process was a few days later, after I'm back at the, the clinic and they'd done a ton of testing, I'm waiting for the results to see what type of cancer I have. Lauren comes in and I just start breaking down. Um, and the second that I knew, like when we both kind of just started talking that she wasn't leaving me and she was going to stay there, like that's when I could finally just share it, like share how I was feeling, express my emotions. And that was the first step of my healing process mentally and emotionally and saying, okay, once I get this news, what is the next step to start going and healing my body, healing myself so I can start getting, you know, past this um, challenging moment. So that was really the the whole diagnosis um, getting started. And it was, uh, it was definitely a whirlwind to say the least. What was the treatment plan once they determined it was testicular yeah. cancer that had spread? What was the treatment plan? Yeah. So after they did, you know, countless tests, they found out I had the highest stage of testicular cancer. Um, it spread pretty much all across my body. Best way to explain it is um, they track what's called a tumor marker. So it's an, it's called AFP. And um, alpha theta protein, you got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you'll, if you know this, then you're going to be probably pretty shocked. So um, most men, I don't know about women, but I know men are supposed to be under five. That's just a normal range. I was over 75,000. So like, I wasn't even in their charts. Like I was 
out of their entire system. So, um, so yeah, so right after I found out about, you know, the tumor marker, all of that, they put me on what's called BEP. So BEP is um, what's called bleomycin, etoposide, and cisplatin. It's very potent chemotherapy drugs. And uh, for most testicular patients, even the stage four ones, they only put you through four rounds. But for me, since it had spread so much and it was so advanced at the time, um, they put me on five rounds of it. And usually- How often? Or like every three weeks? Yep. Or how did that work? So it goes up. So here's how it works. So you have a five-day cycle of- um, one day of bleomycin and then all five days of cisplatin and etoposide. Um, and then you get like a little break and Monday. So really it's actually etoposide and cisplatin. I'm trying to remember because it was five years ago. So it's etoposide and cisplatin for Monday through Friday. And then the following Monday you take bleomycin and then you get that entire week off of chemotherapy. Um, I don't remember. I thought it was, I think it was two weeks off of that. So you get that week off and then another week. And then the second you start feeling good, you're right back on to the next round. So it's just like, it's, it sucks. I mean, anybody who's gone through chemotherapy, you know, there's so many different types of chemos. There's so many different like ways of doing chemotherapy. It's just like, there's endless amounts, but, um, yeah. So for me, anytime I started to feel good, it was like, okay, right back onto chemotherapy. But, um, you know, so how there long, many, how many, how many months? I'm trying to do the math in my head. No, you're so. good. So it was August. Um, it was August like 14th to November 21st, wow. I think it was. So it was a good August, September, October, a good three to three and a half months. So, wow. um, yeah, so it was about three and a half months of chemo, but, um, the thing was, was it was just so such an intense chemotherapy. So it wasn't like, um, one that a lot of people you'll see go on for years and years, this one was just like, hey, we are here to destroy all of the cells in your body and destroy as much cancer as we possibly can. And usually with testicular um, cancer patients, which is actually kind of cool that I'm sharing this because today's April 1st and today's actually the first day of testicular cancer awareness month. So I don't know if you know that, but it's kind of cool that we're on the podcast talking about it. So, um, but what I was going to say is usually men get a symptom in their testicle with testicular cancer. I did not. So all the weird part was, was since it had formed in my small intestine, usually they do an initial surgery first to remove the testicle, right? get, get that out. They couldn't do that because of my cancer is spreading so quickly. So they had mm-hmm. to literally put me on the chemo before they could do any type of surgery. So, um, I had a lot the of results after the chemo. I'm sure you were getting scans. I mean, did it oh, work? Yeah. Did it help? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll get to that here in a sec. So it was, um, there's a lot that, that went on after chemotherapy for sure. So for me, um, you know, chemotherapy, uh, had its ups and downs for me. It was a very mental and emotional journey, but after it, um, you know, I was like, okay, hopefully, you know, I'm starting to get into the clear. I'm starting to kind of see that, um, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, but actually, this is the crazy part was, uh, unfortunately chemotherapy was the easiest part for me. So, um, what had happened was my oncologist sat down with me and he's like, okay, we have good news and we have bad news. Good news. The chemo works. It shrunk your tumor from 11 centimeters. A lot of your AFP markers are down to in the hundreds, which is great. And it should get down to normal range within the next month or so. It's like, awesome. But he's like, the problem is, is your tumor is wrapped around what's called your, uh, vena cava your inferior vena cava. So basically what that is, is it's a central vein that goes from the bottom of your upper body to your heart. And he's like, we're going to have to have four different surgeons involved. We're going to have an 11 hour surgery and we're going to have to remove the vena cava, remove the tumor and move the rest of the cancer and the lymph nodes in your body. 
So that was, that was one of the longest two weeks of my, my life, just waiting for that surgery, but I get the surgery done. Are we at Christmas now? Cause this is like holiday season, right? It is January. So what they do with chemotherapy is after chemotherapy, before you even go see your oncologist, they give you about a three week period because they want the chemo to kind of get out of your body. And then they can see a true result of like where you're at. So you waited three weeks, got to see all of that. And then he waited another two weeks because it was just like, they had to have all these surgeries. And so they had a cardiologist, a urologist, uh, I forget the other two, but just like very specialized surgeons in there. So, um, I go into the surgery, I'm about 140 pounds. As I was saying before, I was about 185 pounds to start this journey. So I lost about 45 pounds during chemotherapy coming out of the surgery. I was close to 200 pounds. What had happened was when they cut my stomach completely open from my left hip to my right hip, my body just started to go into the survival mode and it started to just swell up everywhere. I had swollen legs, swollen stomach, swollen chest. And it was really, I couldn't even walk for a couple of days. So finally, I remember asking my, my um, surgeon, the main surgeon, the urologist, Hey, will this draining like eventually come out of the stomach? Cause they had a draining tube. He's like, yes, you should be fine. Give it about a month and, and you should start to see some ma- major progress. Well, a week out of the hospital. So I was in the hospital for an entire week. I get out of the hospital, literally like three days out of the hospital, the draining just stops just like that. And I'm on Percocet. I'm on Oxycontin. None of it's working. Wow. So I was in so much pain that they had to rush me to the emergency room where they ended up having to drain seven liters of fluid out of my stomach, causing me to go into complete kidney and liver failure. I had what's called compartment syndrome. I had to um, have a catheter in my chest. I had to have a catheter in my neck where they thought I was going to be on dialysis the rest of my life. I had a cone drilled inside my head to relieve potential brain swelling. And that's where I fell into a two-week non-induced coma. And um, long story short, I ended up in the ICU for over 40 days. I was in the hospital for over 53 days. A week out of my two-week coma, they go to take out one of the catheters in my neck. I have what's called an arrhythm heartbeat. I end up going into cardiac arrest. They have to do eight minutes of CPR on me to bring me back to life. I go back into a one-week coma. After that, I remember waking up and I was literally couldn't move an inch. It took me three weeks to completely learn to walk again. From laying in my bed to taking my very first step took me three weeks in the ICU with four nurses every single day. And in that period of time, I had five surgeries. My fifth surgery was completely unexpected. All of them were unexpected, but this one was probably the worst one when I was ready to get out of the ICU and I was pretty much ready to go home. My stitches had bursted open and I had to get rushed into that fifth um, emergency surgery where that was called open wound surgery on me, where they took out all of my abdominals and they leaved a football size mesh over my stomach, where it basically took an entire year for um, my stomach and skin to, to grow and, and heal. Um, and in a matter of 53 days, I dropped down from, like I said, I was close to 200 pounds of all that swelling. I was 110 pounds coming out of that hospital after 53 days. I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't drink anything. It was all through liquid IV and through mouth swabs of, um, of like pretty much just like sponges. So the chemotherapy re- really was yeah. a piece of cake for you yeah. compared to... Yeah, I want to ask, I want to back up. So did these complications arise just because that first initial surgery was just that difficult with the tumor being wrapped around? I mean, is that why, I mean, did they expect expect any of this? Okay. So you were not supposed to have this, 
this many complications at all. No, 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 okay. no. A after that first surgery, it was supposed to be draining. They didn't even expect the swelling to come into my body, but then they're like, okay, it'll drain. You should be good. Just recover. You're good to go. It's called an RPL and D surgery. So a lot of people who are in stage three or stage four testicular cancer have to get this um, surgery. This is just like a major surgery to usually you have a tumor that has grown inside of somewhere in your upper body or your stomach, and they have to remove that tumor, remove the lymph nodes, remove the rest of the cancer. And that's, it's a very tough surgery. So it's usually extremely, you know, challenging and it was, but the, all the other complications were not supposed to happen. So that was kind of like, I'll share a really cool story. And I, I don't, I don't push faith on anybody, but if it's okay, I I'm a yeah. Christian. So I, I just love to share my story of faith because God has done miracles in my life. And I'm sure you've seen it, you know, in, in yours as well. So like for me, um, my mom's very faith-based. And when I was in my coma, you had Lauren and my parents who stayed there every single day. And my mom being the faith-based person she is, she would hold, she held three prayer services just locally where hundreds of people would come and pray for me. And what I was told was not only would they pray for me in the church, there was thousands of people praying for me around the world. They just had prayer groups everywhere. And you'd have Lauren every single day, she'd come up to me, she'd hold my hand and she just prayed that I'd heal and that I'd wake up. So the doctors did not know when I was going to wake up. I was in you know, a coma that was, I think it's called a non in uh, non induced coma. So basically what had happened was on the very last prayer service, directly in the middle, when people were praying for me at church, people praying for me around the world and Lauren was holding my hand and praying for me was the moment that I woke up from my coma and she felt my fingers start to wiggle. She rushed over to the nurses. They didn't believe her. So they rushed over to the surgeon. <laughs> he came in and he finally announced that I was starting to wake up. And for me, that was that was God's way of saying that this isn't the, uh, this isn't the end of the journey. This is a brand new chapter, um, of a bigger and new purpose for your life. And I guess my one thing I'd like to say is for anybody who is in rock bottom right now, or feels like they're in like a rock bottom situation. I don't care if it's financially with your relationship, with your health, just know that rock bottom is not necessarily a bad place to be because what it allows you to do is it allows you to completely reverse your life from your old version of yourself and transform to the person that you are always meant to be. It's a, it's almost like a reset. And that's what um, I felt God had done with my life at that point. And yes, I had, like I was telling you, many more complications along the way too, but. So since you keep talking about how much this changed your life, I mean, you were in your mid twenties, what were you doing before you got this diagnosis? You talked about being very fit and healthy, but what were you actually yeah. doing for a living? And then yep. how did that change? Yeah. So um, I was a wellness director. So basically what a wellness director is, is um, uh, I was at a company with about 400 employees. Um, and my whole entire mission was to create a healthy atmosphere. So we offered um, 40 hours of personal training for free to all our employees. We had um, an entire gym for them. Uh, wow. We did what's called like wellness challenges where we would do um, like step challenges and helping people just like really live a healthy lifestyle. We did wellness events where we bring in nutritionists, things like that. So when I say I was like, really like part of health, like that was my whole you were living it. <laughs> I was literally living it and I was helping people doing it along the right. way too. So I was that plus a personal trainer. So I, I kind of combined the both. So I did part-time personal training there and then part-time doing the wellness stuff. So, um, 
yeah, so that's why like none of my friends, nobody like ever would have expected like Matt to be the one with cancer. But the one thing I've realized is cancer does not discriminate. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't yeah. matter your gender, doesn't matter who you are, it can hit at any point in time. So I just want to be that like person to say, if you have a symptom for more than a week or two, please go get it checked out. Don't be naive like I was. Because honestly, if I would have just gotten checked out when I had figured out that I had symptoms, I probably would have been more like stage one or stage two. Now, I think for me, I know it sounds absolutely insane, but being faith-based and everything, I think God put me through this for a reason. I really do. I have a little saying that I love to share with people and it's everything in life happens for you, not to you. And what it basically means is you are going to get unfair, unexpected news in your life, no matter what, in some way or another, you're going to get unfair news, but it's not the, the challenging experience. It's not the setback that I'm worried about with you. It's how do you deal with the setback? Are you going to become a victim mindset? Are you going to have a why me mentality and say, why is this happening to me? Or are you going to go through a short grieving process, which everyone needs to depend? It could take a week, it could take a month. It could take a little bit longer than that, but are you going to go through that? And then eventually you have to come out and say, how is this a lesson or how is this something that could potentially help me grow as an individual and not only help me grow, but then be able to one day maybe give back and help others. So Matt, what was your worst moment in all of it? So I'd say the the most challenging moment was definitely mentally. Um, You know, I think when it comes to your journey with cancer, people don't realize how much of an emotional and mental challenge it is like going through the anxiety, going through the, the potential worry of can this reoccur in your life? So I'd say, I would say that's the most challenging moment for sure. Is there a specific moment though, that you can share with us? Um, I would say like right after cancer um, and right after the, the ICU and everything, that was the most challenging because then I stopped having the accountability of nurses and doctors every single day. And I got into a really bad rut. And what had happened was, um, I stopped really doing the physical therapy I needed to do. And I ended up back in the the hospital after about two weeks out of that 53 day stay in the hospital. And what had happened was um, I had a standing heart rate of 150 beats a minute. I had blood pressure through the roof. My temperature is about 104 degrees. So I was there for close to a week in the hospital again. And when I came back out, Basically, I had this conversation with Lauren just and the conversation came that if I don't start taking care of my body now, then I cut out just a bit. We won't be as much. And that was like a life or death experience. So I would say I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna dig into it a little bit. Why you being so involved with fitness, it really was you were living that life. Why did you and you know the importance of it? So why did you stop doing physical therapy? Because I didn't have the accountability. Uh, anybody look at somebody who. So if you look at anybody who is in like a, trying to get fit, the reason they hire a personal trainer is not because they want the answers. They don't want the workouts. They don't want the nutrition. They think they want the nutrition. They think they want the workouts. No. What they really want is someone to hold them accountable because they can't do it on their own because they don't have the fortitude or the de- the dedication to do it on their own. So for me, I had to realize that if I I needed to get back to my roots of being this healthy person before and asking for support, asking for help, asking for guidance, because without that, like you, you are not going to fight battles like these alone, anything challenging in life. And you try to fight it alone. 
you, any little setback that you have or any type of chance that you can make an excuse in your life. That's why I was saying everything life happens for you, not to you. That is when literally you, you, if you don't switch your mindset, you're in trouble. What was your best moment? I would say the best moment is when I finally was able to fully heal myself. Um, it took about two years to really mentally, emotionally, and physically heal myself. And then the first time I ever was able to use my experience to give back and help somebody. That was the absolute. What was that uh, first moment? When, when, what was it? Yeah. So I would say um, it took a while, but um, it first gave me, I had to have the courage to even share my, be able to share my story. And I would say my first like real ever speaking engagement where I got to go in front of a group of about 150 young um, entrepreneurs and I shared my story, shared my journey, but more importantly, I shared my lessons and my experience along the way too. And after I was done, I, I probably had 20 or 30 people come up to me and it wasn't like, oh, you had an amazing speech. It was like, I have this problem, like, I'm, I'm dealing mentally with this issue or my, I've been dealing with this family problem, or I have had this type of like struggle in my life. And you've given me so much courage to change my life. It wasn't like a, Oh, this is a great, good motivation. No, it was, I'm literally changing somebody's life. That was probably one of the happiest moments of my life. Um, second, I mean, me and my fiance now, I mean, getting engaged this past summer, that was absolutely incredible. I mean, cause we've been on this freaking journey together and it's been a, a whirlwind of things. So really just, there's a lot of moments, but I would say those two have been massive. So. Okay. Now I have to ask, how did you propose? Yeah. So she, uh, she has this like winery that she loved. I'd never been to it actually. And she took her dad there for his birthday the year previous year. And she was raving about it. She's like, we have to go someday. Um, she was telling my mom, oh, like we should take you there for your birthday someday and whatnot. So my mom's birthday was uh, last July. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can, I know she's going to know because we've been dating for at the time for four and a half, five years. So it was just like, like we, she was going to know when I wanted to propose because she'd been asking me for like two years already. So basically, <laughs> yeah. So basically my mom, um, I'm like, Hey, my mom, um, wants to go do this winery and, uh, for her birthday. And, and I'm like, let's just get our family together. And cause she, she'd always didn't like, would like to have the family there when, when I did it. So, um, I'm like, let's just get the family together. We'll have a great celebration for my mom's birthday and we'll go to this winery. And she's like, Oh, okay. That's awesome. That sounds really good. And of course the day of jokingly, but not jokingly, um, I have like these nice white pants on it just rained. And she's like, I hope you don't get your knee dirty when you bend down to propose to me. I'm like, did you really just say that? Like, are you kidding me? Like, no. I didn't say that to her, but she did it jokingly. But like, she knew I, she just okay. say the best thing that, that happened was I hired a um, photographer and hiring a professional photographer was the best decision I'd ever made. So he was she didn't see that part. So when I proposed, she was kind of shocked, but she was also just like super happy. And she didn't get, she didn't know the photographer was uh, taking pictures of her in the moment. So that was oh, the really cool part. That must so. be great photos. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, oh, that is, that was very, very smart of you. <laughs> Back to cancer. What's yeah. one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning? Um, one thing I wish I would have known at the very beginning is that 
I would say more living in the present, like stop, stop dwelling on a past experience because it's not going to get you anywhere. You can't control a past experience. You can only learn from a past experience and stop worrying about a future because that's just going to cause anxiety. So instead of worrying about the future, plan for the future by taking your past lessons and using them to be present in the moment. Oh, wow. I love that. That's very well said. And you are in the U.S., correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. You didn't sound Canadian. I just thought I checked. No, I'm from Cleveland. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's right. You said that. You said, wait, so the winery was in Ohio? Yep. <laughs> we, have tons, we have tons of really? wineries in Ohio. Well, I guess oh, yeah, the temperature is cool enough, right? For the grapes yeah, and stuff. We have tons of wineries in Ohio. Yeah. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? Um, live a healthy lifestyle before you start looking towards alternative medicines right away. That's my honest opinion. P- too so, many people, too many so, people. I, I will say this. Yeah. Break that down. Place, for people. There's a time and place for medicine, but there's also a time and place that you need to take control of your health too. Most people, the reason why they're on so many medication and they're on so many different drugs is because they aren't willing to take care of their body. They don't do any movement. They don't yep. look at the foods they're eating. They, and I'm not saying that it's all their fault because I'll tell you right now, when you see 50,000 commercials of McDonald's ads and Arby's <laughs> ads and things like that, it doesn't help. They, right. they yeah. shove it in your face and then you go to a grocery store and they have all these colorful boxes and things away. Stay away from boxes. It's all, it, most of that food you need to look at. Number one thing, this is all I'll tell you, be careful how much sugar you're taking um, and watch the oils that you're eating too. If you're eating anything with a seed oil, it's actually really bad for your gut health. So anything like canola oil, vegetable oil, things like that, look more towards avocado oil, olive oil, things like that. Too many people just are endlessly eating. They're not taking care of their body. And they're just, they're like, here, give me the medicine I need. And that right there is causing so many issues in the world right now, in my opinion. Yeah. It feels like the food lobby and the pharma lobby are in cahoots together. A lot of the time, Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you that most people are not proactive about their health or reactive. Okay, Matt, are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Yes. Beach, desert, or mountains? Uh, Beach. Beach boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Uh, Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Courage. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Oh, you put me on the spot. Can I give you an artist instead? I don't, I can't think of a song. Sure. Um, sure. I love Ed Sheeran. So something between Ed Sheeran's songs. Okay. Uh, I don't know which one. I like him. What about the last meal you want to eat? Um, a good steak. Love steak. <laughs> uh, how do you take your steak? Um, medium rare. Yes. No other way. There's yes, no other way. I know. Okay. Right. Unless you go that? rare. I, I, I would go rare before I even go medium. What about the last person or people you want to see? Lauren and my parents. And the last words you will speak. God is good. Oh, I love that. And aside from Cancer U, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I also want you to be sure to tell people how to get in touch with you. Yeah. um, So 
for testicular cancer, I've been um, a part of an incredible organization called Testicular Cancer Foundation. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into in cancer or if you want me to go somewhere else. No, it's it's whatever cancer you like, okay. and we'll put a link um, to that. So yeah, yeah. keep going. And um, I've also created the past year. I created a Facebook group for anyone impacted by cancer, and in the matter of a year, we've grown to over six thousand members in the Facebook group. It's uh, it's an incredible group. Um, I'll definitely share the link that um, I built, and uh, it's just been really, I think, God calling for me to really give back to the community. So I'm very blessed with that. Um, I'm just very grateful. So people want to reach out to you. What's the best way? Is it through the Facebook group or email? Or what's um, the best way? Instagram at M-A-T-T-Y underscore O-D-E or Facebook, just Matt, M-A-T-T-O-D-E. Um, if you want to do LinkedIn, I'm Matt O-D too. You can pretty much follow me on all platforms at Matt Odie, except for Instagram is M-A-T-T-Y underscore O-D-E. All right. If we don't already have those links, please be sure to send them to me so we can yep. share them in the workshop and in the show notes. And Matt, I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story today and just how you've taken this experience and turned it into something beyond positive, really life-changing. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university and hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.